Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, go ahead, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And that might sound uh, a little surprising if you have been coming. We've uh, been trucking our way through the book of Ephesians together as a church. Um, but like Pastor Micah just said, today begins a new series called Table to Tomb. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, focusing on the last few hours of Jesus' life before his death on the cross. And then ultimately, spoiler alert, his resurrection from the tomb. And... There's a lot that happens in a, in a short span of time as it comes to the last hours of, of Jesus' earthly life. And so we're going to focus on just a few significant moments, the first of which being this morning with his disciples sitting at a table. And you think about the table. The table is a significant piece of furniture in most homes. Um, it is a, a staple piece. It dates back all the way to uh, like ancient civilization where they would put it in a home to elevate valuable objects off of the floor. And now in our day and age, it's most commonly associated with eating. And so you think of the families that gather at a table, the friends that are invited in, the announcements that are made, the information that is shared, all centered around the table. And so this morning we're going to see a significant moment as well. Uh, the narrative we're about to read, it, it actually signifies the beginning of the end for Jesus' earthly life, um, but the, the very beginning of eternal life available to all who would come and believe. And this moment centers around a table as well. So if you're in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 17. Read with me God's word. It says this. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. So here's our, our context for this morning is Jesus' ministry for the last few years has been all over the regions and he has communicated multiple times that his desire is to get to Jerusalem specifically for the Passover. So here he is, he's in Jerusalem and Passover is, is a pretty big deal to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. Um, and if you were in Jerusalem during this time, it's kind of like being in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Like you were in the epicenter of the holiday. Um, the decorations would be in a certain way around the city. Um, you would run into children playing games and singing songs that related to the Passover. Everything was coordinated around this holiday. And people traveled from all over to get there. One historian writes that it's estimated that the city would swell to over 2 million people in Jerusalem for Passover. And as Matthew tells us, it's the first day of unleavened bread, which would have been kind of the beginning of this feast that happened over these few days. And this was the day that everything needed to be prepared for the Passover meal. And people would be making their preparations because Sabbath was coming and you couldn't gather those things on that day. And so the Passover meal is arguably, arguably the most significant piece of the holiday. It's the expected that every family was going to observe this Seder meal. 
And you can liken it to Thanksgiving or Christmas, having a turkey on the table, that kind of gathering. You're just kind of expected. A lot of people are assuming that's going to happen in your home. And that was exactly what this Passover meal was. And the meal consisted not only of, of certain types of food, but also rituals and uh, liturgy that just told the amazing story of what God had done to save the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The most significant event being uh, the 10th plague, the final plague that was brought on Egypt where the, the Lord struck down the firstborn sons, but the Israelites were instructed to sacrifice a perfect spotless lamb to prepare it and eat it as a, as a meal and to take some of the blood and to spread it on the doorposts. And as the Lord passed through Egypt that evening, when he saw the blood, he would pass over that house and they were saved from the impact of sin. The sacrifice of the lamb kept them from paying the wages of death. So here it is over 1,500 years later, and, and the Passover is now this amazing celebration that happens. And the disciples and Jesus, they, they roll into Jerusalem, the, the epicenter of it all, and the disciples ask Jesus this question, where would you like us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And I just, I just laughed at that. I mean, imagine rolling into wherever the Olympics are being hosted and being like, we should maybe get dinner reservations. Like, you're probably not going to be in a lot of good places for that, right? Hey, we should probably get a hotel room. Like, you probably should have figured that out before you got there. But here, here they are, they're just in the middle, and Jesus, in God's will, knowing all things, he just casually says to his disciples, he says, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And now you unpack that a little bit through translations and a better understanding. I heard a pastor say it like this this week where he says, Jesus is basically saying, go into the city and go to Mr. So-and-so. Really helpful specification. Pretty easy to go find Mr. So-and-so in a town of two million people, right? It's just an ambiguous kind of Characteristic, And then Luke gives us a, a further example, and it helps us, where it, Jesus actually specified, go into a certain man, find a certain man carrying a jar of water, which would have been a, a little more helpful because in that culture, women carried the jars of water. So just, I mean, you got to put yourself in the story. Imagine you walk into this town that is just packed. Two million people hustling and bustling, trying to prepare everything, in and out of shops, lots of noise, lots of things going on. And John just happens to, out of the corner of his eye, sees a man carrying a jar of water. And you have to admit, like, in that moment, I, John's probably just like, oh, man. Like, is he, is he going to, he did it with the donkey. Remember the, the coin in the fish's mouth? That was crazy, too. Is this it? So you go up to the guy. They have an interaction with him. The guy brings him back to his house. And, of course, there's this largely furnished room upstairs that the man's like, yeah, I'm not using it. Your teacher can use it. And they prepare the Passover for Jesus. So now the table is set, right? Pun intended. And Jesus is about to have one of the most significant moments with his disciples. Read with me in verse 20. It says, when it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? 
He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by who the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Jesus, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. So try to picture it with me, right? Jesus, at a table with his disciples, His friends all gathered around the table, this beautiful, lovely meal with like all the right decorations. Everything's lovely and put together. And they're, they're enjoying this amazing, rich meal full of, of these moments of, of worship, like a Christmas dinner celebration. Like everyone's probably enjoying themselves. The whole, the whole idea and the theme of the, of the evening was to celebrate freedom from slavery and so they would even, like, recline, like it says he reclined. They would even position themselves in a certain way just to express the freedom and the, le- the leisure that they had away from the slavery of Egypt. Everything was intentional to proclaim God's salvation in this meal. And there's all this kind of moments that, that signify different portions of the meal, and it's all kind of in a, in a set kind of way. And Jesus is sitting there, and again, like, you just have to, he's fully God, but he's fully man. He knows what's about to happen, and he knows he's about to do something. He's about to have a really difficult conversation that's going to set in motion his death. And so his his stomach has to be in knots. He's just waiting for this moment, and he just drops it in the middle of the room. One of you is going to betray me. Have you ever gone to a meal with someone specifically to have a difficult conversation. Maybe it was to end a relationship and you chose a public restaurant because you wanted to avoid a lot of the crying. Um, Maybe it was to give some really hard news to family or friends. But there's there's nothing you can really enjoy in that meal. It's really hard, right? Um, It could be an amazing restaurant with incredible food, but the whole time you're just like, you can't even taste it. You're just waiting for the right moment to kind of drop this. And there's never a right moment because you know that the minute you go, hey, I don't think we should see each other anymore, the waiter's going to come and be like, hey, how's everything going? You want some more bread? Is it one check or, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. So Jesus, he drops it in the middle of everything, just boom, one of you is going to betray me. And it's like a bomb went off, right? They, they start, there's this commotion. Everybody starts asking What's happening? Is it, is it I, Lord? Like, it's a, an expression of disbelief, but also like kind of a question like, could it be me? Because they all know their hearts. They all know how imperfect they are. They all know that they're, they're not everything they should be. The thoughts they've had, the opportunities they almost took, the decisions they could have made. So they're wondering, like, does he know something I don't know yet? Am, am I the betrayer? And to make matters worse, Jesus continues and he says, it's, it's the man who dipped his hand in the dish with me. And that, that would have happened a lot. Like they would have taken bread at any point and, and dipped it in the bitter herbs and, and eaten it. And they all would have dipped their hands in the dish. And now they're all running back and... and what, did I do it when Jesus did it? Did we do it at the same time? I think I saw Andrew do it first. I think Andrew double dipped, actually, his bread. I think it's him. Right? And they're, they're trying to figure it out in their mind. I don't know if you've ever been in a room full of 12 people t- 
talking all at the same time, but it's, it's just chaos. It's, there's a lot of commotion going on in the room. And Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper is a portrayal of this moment of Jesus saying, one of you will betray me. All the side conversations, everyone trying to figure it out, and, and different gospel accounts give a little bit of, of a different perspective because you think about just the, the largeness of the room that they were talking to one another around this table. And in the middle of it, Judas finds Jesus' attention and he asks him, is it, is it I, Rabbi? Now, I don't know how much you know about Judas's story, but at, at this point, he's already made up his mind that he's going to betray Jesus. There's some significant moments that happen just a, a little bit before this passage where Jesus is in Bethany and he's around a different table and a woman comes and anoints him with a, perf a perfume that's very expensive. And it says that all the disciples were indignant at Jesus, saying we could have used that money for the poor. But John gives an account of Judas actually being so jealous for the money because he was in charge of the purse. The, he was the treasurer of the disciples and he would steal money from it. And so here's Jesus rebuking them, saying, you don't even know what this woman has done. She's anointed me for my burial. And wherever the gospel is preached, the story will be told. He rebukes, and, and it's as if in that moment, Judas figures out, all right, this man is no longer about the earthly kingdom that I thought he was building. He's about some otherworldly kingdom, and I, that's not going to help me in this moment. And he goes immediately for 30 pieces of silver. He sells out Jesus and says, I'll tell you where he is at a vulnerable time. So you can arrest him without a lot of people knowing. So Jesus, Judas, in his heart, has already decided that he's going to betray Jesus. And if you've ever played the game Mafia, right, you've played the game Mafia with, with uh, your friends, it's this game where, you know, one person is an imposter in the group and, and trying to take out the other people. And uh, I'm not the best Mafia player. And uh, so what I do is I just, meet, if I get chosen as the mafia guy and I'm hiding in the, in the midst of the group of, of friends, I immediately just start mimicking, right? So uh, like somebody would be like, well, I saw uh, Joe like move his left foot. I was like, Joe definitely moved his left foot. Absolutely, Joe moved his left foot. I saw it too. You're right. That did happen. And Joe's like, no, like I, I, I wasn't, I was at the, I was in the bathroom. I was like, Joe is definitely in the bathroom. He wasn't even here. He's right. Joe, you're so right. It must have been Grant. It's Grant's fault then. Right? I immediately just start asking the same questions and agreeing with everyone around me. And so maybe that's what Judas is doing here. He's, he's trying to kind of hide the fact that he's going to betray. But I love, there's just this little, little difference. Is it I, Rabbi? Not Lord. Rabbi, teacher, generic term. He's acknowledging Jesus' earthly status without submitting to his divine authority as Lord over his life. It has to be a tragic moment for Jesus as he looks across the table into the eyes of a man that has been with him for years, that was chosen as a disciple to be a part of the 12. He's seen miracles. He's heard the truth over and over. He sat under the best teaching. He's been with the best mentors in the best discipleship environment he could ever be in. And he still chose to walk in darkness rather than in the light. And 
to his final moments, he hid in his sin. But Jesus knows. He just acknowledges, you have said it, right? Yes, Judas, I know it's you. And John says that Jesus, you know, again, a lot of commotion, a lot of conversations going on, and he leans in and he just says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Let's be done with the games. Go and do it. So Judas leaves. The other disciples, they don't think anything of it. You know, you can imagine at later times when they're writing the, their accounts, they can look back and say, that was it. can't believe I missed it. But Judas leaves, betraying his friend. And now with the imposter out of the room, on his way to go tell the authorities where Jesus is, Jesus knows his time is limited. And so in his final moments with his friends, he gives them this incredible symbol to represent what is about to happen. And also for us as the church to recall what Jesus did for us. Look at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is where we receive the ordinance of communion. Today, the Lord's Supper or communion is the act of the church receiving the bread and the cup in a way of remembrance. But realize that in this moment, the disciples, this is throwing them way off. Again, the Passover meal, the Seder meal is, is very structured, very ritual, ritualistic. There were certain things that were supposed to be done and, and observed at a certain part and and it would look a little bit different depending on who the rabbi was, but at the end of the day, they, they knew what was supposed to be done in this meal. And here's Jesus. He's already thrown them off by just, you know, throwing out the betrayer comment in the middle of dinner. And now Jesus picks up the bread, the matzah, and he, and he breaks it. And he begins to hold it in his hands, and they're like, what's he doing? Why is he breaking it? You don't, you don't break the bread right there. And he, and he says, this is my body. Take it and eat it. And they're, they're like, that's the same bread we've been eating. And it symbolizes something else. And you're saying it's your body? And then he lists the cup. There, there would be four cups at different times, whether they were individual cups or just the same cup. But at, at four different moments, that a, a drinking from the cup would represent a different thing in the meal. And this was almost certainly the third cup, which was the cup of blessing. And the point is you would remember God's salvation, God's righteous hand that saved them from the Egyptians. And he says, this is my blood. It's the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So for centuries now, generations have, have sat at this meal and they've lifted this cup and they've said, praise God, 
for his righteous hand that has saved us from the Egyptians, that we are no longer bound as slaves. And in a historic moment, in one sentence, Jesus raises that cup and says, not just then, even more so now, your God saves. Through my blood, there's a new covenant. That's why I'm here. That's everything that's about to happen. That's why I'm here. Yes, God rescued the Israelites from slavery, but Jesus came to save from the slavery of sin and death. What a moment. And again, what are the disciples thinking? You, you, you can't think that they're picking up on all of this in the moment. I mean, how many times do we read that Jesus has, has told them, I'm going to die. For three days, the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to destroy the temple. And in three days, I'll raise it back up. I'm going to die. And they just kept missing it, rebuking him even for saying such a thing. And so he gives them this perfect picture. And what he wants them to see, he wants them to see that the Passover, that was just a shadow of what was to come. This meal, everything in it, the point of it all, the rituals, the sacrifices, everything that has happened up until this point in your history, it was a shadow of me. Take the bread. It's broken. Just like my, my flesh will be torn from my body and I'll be nailed to a tree. Take it and eat it. And this cup it's no longer just about what God did in Egypt. It is about what God is doing right now through my blood that will be poured out. And don't just think about it. Don't just mindlessly move through the motions of a meal. Rather, eat it and, and drink it, ingest it, get it inside of you so that it changes the way that you live. And then he points ahead even in verse 29. And he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus knew that he would never share a meal like this again on earth with his disciples. Yes, there are accounts of him after his resurrection where he's eating and, and you know, fish or different things, some of the bread, but he never drinks the cup. He never sits down and, and has this type of moment. And while that is significant, what he's more so saying is, I'm pointing to a, a day when we will be together and we will, we will enjoy this meal the way it's meant to be enjoyed and the fulfillment of everything that's about to happen. It will be rich with worship and celebration, much like this Passover meal, but more so because you will fully understand all that God has done to bring you salvation. The Bible gives the picture of a marriage supper. And uh, we've lost a lot of this symbolism in, in our culture. Um, now weddings are one day, quick ceremony, maybe a meal, maybe not. Uh, you spend more time taking pictures than anything else, right? And I, I'm not knocking it. I did it too. That's, that's how we do weddings over here in, in Western American. But the Bible, like things were so different in, in, in that culture where weddings were, 
like a week or more long, and it was this rich celebration of families coming together, and there would be significant moments through each day that would show just how sacred and holy this was and the lasting covenant relationship these people were entering into. Because, see, the the biblical understanding of marriage and how we counsel people desiring to be married is that they are making a covenant with God and with each other. This is not a contractual relationship, right? Meaning, like, it's not a contract where if you uphold your end, I'll uphold my end. But if you don't, then it's null and void and I can move on to something else. You know, a covenant Declaration in a relationship is saying that no matter what, I am upholding my end. And there was a a price to be paid. When you wanted to marry someone, when you wanted to propose marriage, you had to provide a a bride price. And there's a lot of whack culture that came came with that, but the kind of the most significant part was just to say, Are you for real? Are you willing to pony up? And put some, it's going to cost you something to be a part of this. And we have remnants of this in our culture, right? When you want to propose, right, you go out and you buy an expensive diamond engagement ring. Just to show, like, I'm serious. It has way less to do with the piece of jewelry and way more to do with the fact that I was willing to go out, sacrifice financial gain to show you that I'm serious about this. And a lot of women are looking going, I don't know how serious he was right now. I'm, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it, it, it signifies something. It signifies I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice to be a part of this. And so here's Jesus and he's holding the cup. And he's saying, here's my price. Here's my price. I'll, I'll pay it all. My body and my blood. That's what I'm willing to put on the table. And just like someone saying yes to a proposal, when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are, we are saying yes to his drawing near to us and saying, I've, I've paid for it, it's done. I'm entering into covenant relationship with you. And every time we, we eat the bread and, and we drink the cup, it's like, it's like we're renewing our vows in a moment, to say, yes, I'm, I'm in this. I believe it. I believe that you paid that price. We're acknowledging that we, our, our sin required a debt to be paid. And we're admitting that Jesus paid the price for us. And this isn't done against our will. We're not forced into this. It is something that we joyfully accept. And Jesus is reminding his disciples and us, that one day we will sit down at the marriage supper, the feast to celebrate what God has done to redeem his people once and for all. Revelation 19 gives us a glimpse of this. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. How do you get an invitation to this table? Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only through embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and believing that his sacrifice covers your sins and you can now live free, belonging to Christ instead of yourself. There's nothing magical about the bread or the cup that we're going to take this morning. It's a symbol. It's a reminder. Same way I look down at my ring and remind myself of the vow and covenant I live under. When I taste the bread and the cup, I am able to reflect on the right things. So let me give you three things the Lord's Supper asks us to look at. The first is you need to look back at what God has done. Just as the Passover meal was calling the Israelites to look back at God's salvation from Egypt, the Lord's Supper gives us the opportunity to look back at what God has done in our own lives. Can you remember who you once were? Can you think about all the things that God did to pull you out of your own sin? Do you remember how lost you really were? I say often that I'm not who I want to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not who I once was. I can't help but look back and think, thank God that my old life is almost unrecognizable to me now. A part of the, this meal would have been a plate of, of bitter herbs that they would dip the bread in and eat just to remind themselves of the bitterness of slavery. In the same way, we need to look back at what God has done and, and thank the Lord that I, I am not living stuck, a slave to my sin. Remember your slavery to sin. Let it stir worship in your soul for salvation through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, you need to look inward. Look inward at my own sin. We should all be asking the question, is it I, Lord? Have I betrayed you? Search me and know me and find any grievous way in me. It's so easy to look outward at others and their sin and their failures and say, I would never. But can we in this moment not just look at Judas and say, how could he? But rather say, is it I, Lord? What have I done? What is in me that has caused me to fall short of the glory of God? Today, Lord, would you help me to look inward at my own sin? My own heart is prone to wander. And Lord, bring me back to the table. And then thirdly, you need to look forward to the future table. Are you content with the life you're living? Or is there a longing, a yearning for the day when we sit at last at the great marriage supper of the Lamb? finally united together in God with the family of God. You should be praying, Lord, help me not to grow complacent and so fixated on building my life here that I grow numb to the hope that is in heaven. 
that I don't long for the day when everything is completed. You know, you know why the serving sizes are so small in communion? It's not an efficiency thing. It's not because we're trying to cut costs. It's so that it leaves you with a feeling of dissatisfaction, unfulfillment. Nobody should be taking communion today and then going, well, I guess I don't need lunch. Rather, it's a, it's a, a wetting of the appetite, the way you would lick the spoon as you prepare the cake. It's just giving you a little taste of what is to come and, and making you leave in a moment going, I, I want the full thing. I want all of it. I don't want this little piece of his body and this little sip of his blood. I want Jesus. Father, help us look forward to the future table. And it is a beautiful thing as we fix our eyes in this season on the sacrifice of Jesus, what his death and resurrection means to us for us to start by coming to the table, to look back, to look inward, and to look forward together as the family of God, receiving the invitation to the table. As we move into a time of doing that together, let, let me just give you two warnings. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 11. He says this, that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So two ways you can, you can take this in an unworthy manner, two ways you should be examining yourself this morning. One is if you are not someone who believes in Jesus as your Savior, you have not repented of your sin, you have not asked God to be the Lord of your life, maybe you, you acknowledge Jesus as rabbi, you acknowledge Jesus as teacher, he's a good guy, he's helpful when I need him, but you have not submitted to his lordship over your life, then just like you would not put on a white dress show up at a wedding that isn't yours and walk an aisle to a groom that you do not know. Do not walk these aisles and partake in something that means nothing to you. That may sound harsh, but it's actually more harsh to allow you to, to bring condemnation on your own soul because you're taking this in an unworthy manner. Paul would go on and say, this is why some of you are sick and are dying. So examine yourself. Ask yourself, why not? Why have I not made this decision? Is it unbelief? Is it a desire to live your own way or you just don't think it's necessary? Examine yourself. And if, if you come to the decision that Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you can, you can take the Lord's Supper as a believer. And then we have pastors and elders who would love to celebrate that with you and, and talk about what's next. Welcome to the family of God. You have a seat at the table. Second warning, if you have hidden or unconfessed sin in your life, do not receive these elements until that has been dealt with. And for some, that might mean it's gonna take more time than what we have available in this gathering. And that's okay. Let this be the catalyst for something to change in your life, a conversation that needs to be had, a, a confession that needs to be brought out into the light. And then take communion at a different time. And you can do so with a pure heart because you know that everything is before the Lord. 
And that's not a call to perfection. This is a desire for you to live in repentance. Are you keeping short accounts with your sin? Are you turning from sin? Are you just living in it until moments like this where you're like, yeah, I guess I'll confess, I'll take communion. You have no desire to uphold the covenant relationship once you walk outside the doors. Don't take it. Examine yourself. Ask God to bring things to light. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move into a time of communion and I'm going to have you come forward to receive the elements. And so the the team's going to sing over us a song that would remind us of these things that we've talked about. And then when you're ready, you can feel free to to move forward. And and just logistically, we're going to use these center aisles here. So we're going to kind of all flow to these center aisles here and here, receive the elements, and then flow back out towards the walls and come back into your rows. And we'll end the service all together. But when you come forward... There'll be pastors and elders here and you can take the, the elements right then. You can take the bread, you can take the cup, eat it, ingest it, let it sit with you for a moment and then drink the cup and then move back into your seats. Let's come to the table. Let's receive his invitation this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would never take for granted the work that you've done Lord, as our senses taste this morning, would we see that you are good? Father, help us not to move quickly in this season. Help us to linger at the cross, to marvel at the empty tomb. Lord, help us to look back at what you've done in our own life to bring us to a point of salvation. Help us to not be like the Pharisees and to think that we've got it all figured out, but rather help us to look inward at our own sin and find more that needs to be confessed, more imperfections that need to be brought out under the grace of Jesus. And Lord, thank you for the blood that covers us so we can look forward to a future table where we will worship perfectly. We will see you, not as in part dimly in a mirror, but fully and understand everything that was required to bring us to that moment and it will spur us in worship. Lord, thank you for your body given for us. Thank you for your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. In Jesus' name, amen.